Welcome to the Valley Avon Podcast, a weekly podcast provided by Valley Community Baptist Church, located in Avon, Connecticut. In the third message of the Cultivate series, Senior Pastor Rob O'Neill discusses sanctification by answering the question, how does God shape our lives, in his sermon titled, Engage. Now here is Pastor Rob. What can we do to mature as disciples of Jesus? We're in the middle of a sermon series called Cultivate, where I'm taking an opportunity to try to lay out where I believe God is leading us as a church in the next several years. For me, it comes together in the phrase, full valley engagement cultivates disciples who impact our world for Christ. Full valley engagement cultivates disciples who impact our world for Christ. And so as we began a couple of weeks ago, we began in week one by talking about impact and the way that God can change the world through us. Last week, we talked about the fact that Jesus calls all of us his disciples. We are disciples of Jesus. What does that mean? And this week, we're asking the question, what is it that we can do ourselves to mature, to grow as disciples? But every time I use that word we, I have to recognize the fact that it doesn't necessarily apply to each and every one of us. When I say we are followers of Jesus, disciples who seek to mature, I have to recognize the fact that some of us are not yet followers of Jesus. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I would say to you, today is the day. Become a follower of Jesus. It will change your today and it will change your eternity. And other people in the room are maybe followers of Jesus, but don't yet own that term disciple. They think, well, I'm not sure I am a disciple. I'm in with Jesus, but I don't know that I'm ready to be a disciple. If that's the case for you, I would encourage you to go back and listen to the message that I preached last week. It's available online. Continue the thought. Continue thinking about whether it is appropriate for you to be called a disciple. But for today... Let's assume together that we are all disciples who want to mature as disciples. And what we're going to find today is that if we are to mature as disciples, the concept of engaging is critically important. What does it mean to engage? The word engage implies that things come together and are intertwined with one another. So you can engage in a contract. You can engage in employment. You can even engage in combat. The word engage has come to mean something moving into a position so that it can operate. And for us to engage means to be involved with. Now, a gear reminds us of what it looks like to engage. A gear in its simplest form is a wheel with teeth on that wheel. And in its simplest form, a gear, when one wheel spins and another gear is engaged at the tooth level, when one gear spins, the other gear or gears will begin to spin as well. And when those gears begin to spin, power and motion are transferred. To understand what I'm talking about, think about a bicycle. Now, the gears on a bicycle are not touching physically. They're connected instead by a chain. But when you pedal a bicycle, when you pedal, you turn a gear. And that gear attached through a chain turns the gear that is attached to the back wheel. And so when you pedal, 
Motion and power are transmitted and the bicycle moves ideally forward. When gears engage, things begin to happen. And as we think about maturing as disciples of Jesus, we have to examine this thought today. To mature as disciples, we should engage together. To mature as disciples, we should engage together. Today, we're going to look at the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. We're going to see what the church was like in its earliest days after the church was freshly born. And what we're going to find is that the disciples of Jesus in the early church are putting out a model for us. They engage in activities to mature as disciples. And what we're going to find is that they engage in those activities together. So that's setting a powerful model for us because we want to see what kinds of things they do to mature as disciples. And they are going to leave us with a call to engage in those things and to do so together ourselves. And so as we prepare to dig into Acts chapter 2 today, let's pray and ask God's guidance and his blessing. Heavenly Father, as we turn to your word, we pray Father, asking that you would be with us today. God, I ask for anyone who's not yet a follower of Jesus that you would give them the gift of faith that they might become a follower of your son, Jesus. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, God, grant us the gift of the, of the dream of being disciples and of maturing in being disciples. And God, would you give us the gift of one another that we might mature together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, in Acts chapter 2, we're going to see a model for what we do to mature as disciples. The end of Acts chapter 2 happens on the back of the beginning of Acts chapter 2, where we see the church being born on Pentecost. Now, after Jesus rose from the dead, he spent 40 days teaching his disciples again. And then he told the disciples to wait in Jerusalem for the gift of the Holy Spirit before they were to disperse and be his witnesses throughout the world. Then Jesus ascended into heaven. A few days later, on the Feast of Pentecost, when Jewish people from around the world had gathered for the feast, the disciples were together, probably in the upper room. While they were together, the sound of a mighty rushing wind filled the room. And then they saw tongues that looked like fire coming into the room, and a separate tongue of flame descended on each one of the disciples as the Holy Spirit filled each and every follower of Jesus. They rushed outside, and they began proclaiming their faith in Jesus publicly, and each person heard the proclamation in their own language that day three thousand people became followers of Jesus and were subsequently baptized. And then we come to the end of Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And it's in those verses that we find what those disciples did after the church was born. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 begins, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. 
And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And so what you discover is that the brand new disciples of Jesus began to worship together in the temple. They went to the temple day by day. And in the temple, they engaged in the regular worship of the temple and in, it seems, the daily prayers that were offered in the temple as well. But as the disciples of Jesus, they would gather together in a place called Solomon's Porch. Solomon's Porch was a colonnade on the east side of the temple. You're going to see a picture, a picture of a recreation of the temple. And the colonnade that is in the foreground is in all likelihood the one that was Solomon's porch. That's where the disciples would gather day by day, and the apostles would share with them, they would teach the things that Jesus had taught them. Not only that, but they would pray together, and they would observe the Lord's Supper together. The disciples worshiped together in the temple. These disciples also fellowshiped together in homes, They would go to homes for daily meals that were provided for them and that they would share together as disciples. Over those meals, they would share time together. They would pray together. They would try to understand what it means to follow Jesus together. And frequently, they would take the Lord's Supper together in those homes as well. On top of that, those disciples, those brand new disciples, served together publicly and powerfully. They, they took all of the wealth that they had and they would pool the wealth that they had in order to meet the needs of the people inside of the body of Christ. They made sure that no one in the body of Christ had a need. When needs arose, people would take items that they had that were of value and they would sell those items of value And they would bring the proceeds and and give them to the church, and the church would distribute them to make sure that the needs of every person were met. In all likelihood, they used the same revenue streams in order to serve people in the community. And the Bible tells us that because of the way they cared for one another and because of the way they cared for the community, their reputation thrived in Jerusalem. On top of that, we read that the disciples witnessed publicly together about their faith. We read that the apostles and disciples taught that the apostles worked deeds and signs and wonders publicly. In addition to everything that was done publicly, we know that these disciples witnessed to their faith privately, to their family members, to their friends, to the people they worked with, to the people of Jerusalem. And as a result, we read what happened is that the church grew day by day as God was adding people to the church. What a beautiful picture of these disciples in Jerusalem doing what they needed to do to mature. But notice that all of the things mentioned in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, tell us that they did these things together. Now, there are some important lessons that we draw from what we read in Acts chapter 2, some principles. The first thing that we understand from the book of Acts is that to mature as disciples, we must engage. To mature as disciples, we must engage. And, and you'll recognize the fact that a maturity, our maturity as disciples of Jesus isn't dependent on chronology. We have to actually do something in order to mature 
Who among us has not known a person who has been a disciple of Jesus for decades, but who is not doing the work required to mature as a disciple and is consequently stuck spiritually and has never grown spiritually, never matured spiritually? On the other hand, we have all known people who have become followers of Jesus and who have engaged in the practices that it takes to begin maturing and have begun to mature quickly. And even though they are very young in the faith, we know that they are very mature in the faith. Now, why can these two things be true? Because time does not alone mature us as disciples of Jesus. There is work that we must do. So to mature as disciples, we must engage. To mature as disciples, we must engage in personal spiritual practices as well. To mature as disciples, there's things that we want to do on our own. Things like study our Bibles and pray and fast and give. These personal spiritual disciplines begin to shape us and to help us mature. In my own efforts in discipling individuals, I've discovered that Whether a person will study the Bible personally on a daily basis or not has a high correlation to whether they will ever mature as a disciple or not. Because if they will engage in personal daily Bible study, then I know, first of all, that their life is coming under obedience to Christ. But secondly, they are in a daily encounter with a living God. And they're in a daily encounter with his word that is filled with truth. And that word confronts us. And that word begins to shape us from the inside out, changing areas of our lives that are out of sync with God's plan for our lives, reshaping the way we think and reshaping the way that we live. So what I found is that if a person will engage in daily Bible study, their life is eventually going to come into obedience to God. They're going to mature as a disciple, and they will multiply disciples. So to mature as a disciple, we must engage in personal spiritual practices. But not only that, to mature as a disciple, we must engage with God's Holy Spirit. There are certainly things that we must do if we are to mature as disciples. But the simple fact of the matter is that we cannot force ourselves to mature all on our own. Maturity as disciples of Jesus, like salvation itself, is a gift from God. God, through the power of his Holy Spirit, causes us to mature as disciples. Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, where he says, But you were washed... You were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So he is describing the work of God's Holy Spirit in our lives. But did you notice how many passives there were in that sentence? You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. We didn't do it ourselves. It was done for us as a gift by God through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so if we are to mature as disciples, we must engage with God's Holy Spirit. And here we come again to another powerful reminder that we don't mature as disciples of Jesus all on our own. We need the Holy Spirit. As it turns out, we need one another as well. Because you see, a second principle that we get from Acts chapter 2 is that to mature as disciples, we should engage with one another as well. To mature as disciples, we should engage 
with one another as well. To understand what I mean, I want to I want to talk about three different myths that that we have today. Uh, we're going to have to bust those myths together. Myth number one is the myth of unrealistic expectations. Myth number one is the myth of unrealistic expectations. And this is the myth by which we say we can do whatever it is that we want to do, and we are going to get good results from it. Now, to understand what I mean, I want you to think about the picture today of a runner in a marathon. Marathons are are long road races, typically 26 miles and more. And in order to be ready for a marathon, you have to do a lot of training and a lot of preparation. It would be difficult to imagine a runner showing up for a marathon, having done no training and being completely unprepared and expecting both to complete that race and to thrive in the process of doing it. It's just not going to happen. But in a similar fashion, we have the unrealistic expectation that we don't have to put any work into our spiritual lives, and yet we are going to mature spiritually, and we are going to find ourselves at some point in fantastic spiritual condition. We're not. We're going to find ourselves gassed and wheezing in the road race of spiritual conditioning, if that's the approach that we take, because it's a myth. It doesn't happen. Those are unrealistic expectations. To mature as disciples, we must engage. Myth number two is the myth of self-sufficiency, the myth of self-sufficiency. And this is the myth that I can do all that I need to do for myself on my own. Well, that's a myth. And in order to understand why I call it a myth, I want you to get the picture today of an island in your head. You probably remember the John Donne phrase, no man is an island. And we absolutely fundamentally know the truth of that and believe it, except we don't believe it at all particularly when it comes to our own spiritual condition. We believe instead the myth of self-sufficiency, that when it comes to our spiritual condition, anything that must be done, we will do on our own. We do not need or want guidance. We do not need or want coaching. We do not need or want accountability. We are an island on our own in our minds, but that's a myth. That's a myth because we are not self-sufficient spiritually. To mature as disciples of Jesus, we need other people as well. Which brings us to myth number three, the myth of consumer choice, the myth of consumer choice. And the myth of consumer choice tells us that if we want to mature as disciples of Jesus, we can pick and choose the things that work in our lives and with our schedules. And the picture that I want you to get here is the picture of the coffee aisle in the grocery store. You go down the coffee aisle in a grocery store, and what do you see? You see 15 brands of coffee. And in each one of those brands, you've got all of the flavors. You've got the hazelnuts. You've got the French vanillas. You've got the caffeinated, the decaffeinated. You've got the dark roast, the medium roast, the light roast. You've got the beans that are whole, that you grind for yourself. You've got the pre-ground beans. You've got the instant coffees. If you go into the grocery store, you have all of these choices of the kind of coffee that you can buy, or you can walk away with no coffee at all. And we, we, we get the idea that this approach, this consumer-based approach, this set of choices that we think we have of coffees in the grocery store applies in every area of our lives. And we get the idea that this this consumer choice applies even to our spiritual lives. 
that we can pick and choose the things that work for us and work with our schedules in our lives, and we can disregard all of the others. In fact, during the pandemic, we've gotten the notion that if engaging doesn't work for us, then we can disengage. We can disengage from the activities that that we don't want to do because in the pandemic, we've all taken a giant step back and we've been at home more and we kind of liked being at home. We've decluttered our schedules and we kind of like having our schedules decluttered. So we have disengaged. But you see, consumer choice and spiritual growth in maturing as disciples of Jesus is a myth. We can't disengage. That's not actually on the list of choices for maturing. We have to engage in order to mature as disciples of Jesus. Not only that, but there are practices that we must engage in if we're going to mature as disciples of Jesus. We don't get to pick and choose the ones that we like and that fit with our schedules nicely. And we should engage in these spiritual practices together because that's how we grow. John Wesley really teaches a powerful lesson on the importance of engaging and on engaging together if we're going to mature as disciples of Jesus. John Wesley lived in the 1700s during the years when the Great Awakening was raging across the American colonies. And it turns out that waves of revival were sweeping across Europe and across England as well. In one of those waves, John Wesley came to personal faith in Jesus Christ himself. And his friend, who was very involved in the renewal movement in England, George Whitfield, invited Wesley to come alongside of him and to preach and to build the renewal movement in England. Wesley accepted Whitfield's uh, invitation and he began preaching, but he brought something to that renewal movement that no one had brought before. John Wesley brought organization. You see, John Wesley realized that the people who were coming to faith in Jesus Christ needed a place to figure that out together. And so he created classes, groups of 8 to 12 people who would come together for accountability and for growth. In in 21st century terms, we would say John Wesley invented the small group and put everyone in small groups. And here's what happened. By the end of the 1700s, the renewal movements across Europe and the United States had fallen apart. But the classes that John Wesley had begun to build build, continued to multiply and expand. And classes became churches, and churches became denominations. And those classes, churches, and denominations have continued multiplying until today. And in the 21st century... The movement that Wesley built through that organization is continuing to reach people, and many millions of people trace their spiritual ancestry back to John Wesley as a result. Why? Because to mature as disciples of Jesus in sustainable kinds of ways, we must engage with one another. To mature as disciples, we engage in four primary practices together at Valley. Four primary practices. Together, we worship regularly and vibrantly. The Bible teaches us that we were created for face-to-face time with God. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, we read, And they, Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. 
It's what they were built for, daily face-to-face time with God. It turns out that we were built for worship. We are built to be in God's presence and to give him glory and to receive his presence into our lives. And, And we're built to worship vibrantly, to offer ourselves wholly to him and see him change us from the inside out. And worship is an environment where we gather together on a weekly basis and, and we offer our praises to God. And at the same time, we proclaim the truth of, of Jesus's gospel. We apply the Bible to our lives. We encourage one another and, and we help each other sort out what it means to follow Jesus together. So worship should be a regular, not a sporadic part of our lives. Let's worship together publicly. Secondly, let's connect together in groups. If we are to mature as disciples, let's connect in groups. It turns out that we are built to be spiritual family to one another. In John chapter 1, verse 12, we read, But to all who did receive him, that is, who received Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now think about what that means. If we are all children of God, then we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. We're a spiritual family. And we connect in groups to get together with our spiritual family. And in groups, we care for one another. And we continue teaching God's word. And we apply God's word to real-life situations in our lives. And not only that, but we see other people model for us what it means to be a mature disciple of Jesus. And we're called to that ourselves. So let's connect in groups. Not only that, but to mature as disciples, let's serve together based on our giftedness. Jesus commands us to show love in practical ways, to serve. In John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So what Jesus is telling us is to love practically, as he has loved practically, to love one another practically. And when we love one another practically, when we serve one another, we demonstrate to the entire world that we're disciples of Jesus. And then when we love people outside of the body of Christ, we reinforce the image that we are disciples of Jesus, and this is what it is to serve God. And let's do so out of our giftedness. Let's serve together. And next, let's share. Let's share locally and globally. As we share locally and globally, look at what we have the opportunity to do. We have the opportunity to share our faith with our neighbors, our friends, and our family members. Beyond that, we have the opportunity to share our faith throughout Hartford and Litchfield counties. And beyond that, we have the opportunity together to reach New England. And beyond that, we have the opportunity together to reach unreached people groups around the world. And when we do what I'm describing, when we share and reach locally and globally, we're doing exactly what Jesus was talking about. Back in Acts chapter 1, shortly before he ascended into heaven, he told his disciples this in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Let's share together locally and globally. Years ago, two disciples taught me the importance of engaging together if I was going to mature as a disciple of Jesus myself. We went together on a mission trip to 
Honduras. If you ever have an opportunity to go on a mission trip, I would highly recommend it. During the day in Honduras, we shared our faith publicly and we served people in important kinds of ways. Then the evening, we had the opportunity to connect and recharge as a team. I connected in particular with two guys on the team, two brothers in Christ, and we connected on the back patio of the house where we were staying, specifically in hammocks that were hung on the back patio. It was great. Swinging in those hammocks, we had deep conversations with one another. Now, the interesting thing is that for me to that point in my life, I really think I had the vision of myself as spiritually an island, self-sufficient unto myself. I have to be transparent with you about the fact that I don't like being transparent. I don't like talking about my weaknesses and my failures, even though those are an important part of my life. I do not like feeling vulnerable. I don't. I don't know that many of us do. But on that back patio swinging in those hammocks, we talked about it all. We talked about our failures. We talked about our disappointments. We talked about our dreams for the future. And we talked about our aspirations, what God might do through us. And on that back patio sharing that time with those two brothers, I found in that moment the resolve that I needed to get through that trip. But beyond that, I found the resolve that I needed to begin engaging with other followers of Jesus so that I might mature as a disciple of Jesus myself. And if I am going to continue maturing as a disciple of Jesus, I still need brothers and sisters in Christ to share the journey with me. I still do. So do you. So let's back up and ask the bigger picture question once again. Full Valley engagement cultivates disciples who impact our world for Christ. We want to impact our world for Christ. We want Christ to impact our world through us. For that to happen, we must be disciples of Jesus. And if we are disciples of Jesus, we want to mature as disciples. And if we're going to mature, we must engage. And we should engage together. I have no desire to fill your life with busyness. I simply want to point you to the right things that you should do for the right reasons. So let's engage together. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Valley Avon podcast. If you would like to hear more, you can subscribe for free on any platform you use. If you would like to visit us in person or would like to submit a prayer request, you can visit us on the web at avon.valleycommunity.cc. 
From all of us here at Valley Community Baptist Church, thank you for coming and have a blessed week.